0: Well, good morning, everyone, um, those in the, uh, in the church at the moment and those watching online. Um, just want to say welcome. Uh, thank you for inviting us along to come and share with you. Um, we've received a very warm um, introduction to each one of you. Um, really good to see Ray and Glenda here. You may not realise that this, um, this church has been looking after us for a period of time because of these two individuals, um, since arriving back in Australia about six months ago, um, We've, we've been mentored and shaped by particularly Ray and Glenda, who have been in service for much longer than us, and coming back to Australia has had its challenges, but um, we're certainly very thankful to Glenda for her cooking, and that raspberry jam, um, and plum jam, no, no complaints there, um, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, today, I'm going to be sharing with you um, from First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. It's a fairly important piece of scripture for us. I know everyone in this room here can understand that we've been through a difficult season. And you can see um, that there are going to be some images that I'm showing um, here today in the church, which won't be shown online, um, but those uh, here um, can see them. Uh, there's a picture of uh, our, our, our serving Land Rover, which is just hanging together, and some of my children. And I remember standing at the front Gate of where we serve in, in South, the South Pacific and we serve on a farm there. And you have to understand that uh, the experience for us in this COVID season may have been a little bit different to you. Where we served in the South Pacific, um, if either you had close contact with the virus or you contracted the virus, you, you weren't sent home with some Panadol and and a mask and told to stay home. You're actually collected and placed into a facility. Um, And we watched as COVID swept through the small farming community that we belong to, people being picked up by government services and taken away. This is quite significant for us. I have my beautiful wife and six children. What would it mean for us to go and continue serving within millimetres of this virus and either have my wife and I taken away, leaving the six children on a farm in the rural South Pacific. It had serious complications. And I remember standing at the top of that gate with the Land Rover there next to my son and two others of my children, and asking my heavenly father, how, how are we gonna navigate this situation? What is my response going to be as a believer? And I've found in these situations, you always come back to God's word. He's got something to say to you to help you navigate this season. And I came back to this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And I'll read it to you now. And starting at verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all things, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Now, to give this weighted context, you've got to understand also a little bit about the person who's writing it. And we're talking about the Apostle Peter. Now, He's quite dear to me because my my professional background is agriculture and fisheries. And I've always clung to the the Peter testimony and the fact that he just dropped his nets and followed the Lord Jesus. Um, If there's hope for him, there's hope for me. But you also have to understand the kind of person Peter is and how did he arrive from dropping nets at the Sea of Galilee to the very end of his life here, Um, And these were quite literally some of the last letters of his life that he was writing to the church, the early church of the first century. How did he arrive at this place talking about, above all things, love deeply? Please remember, yes, Peter was described as rock, but he was a very aggressive person also. Remember at Gethsemane? When Jesus was about to be handed over to the religious leaders, he thought he could bring the kingdom of God in with a sword. cut the uh, the ear off a a temple assistant. Jesus had to rebuke him then. And not only that, but in the course of time when Jesus was being arrested and tried, he even rejected the Lord Jesus three times. Was restored over a breakfast of fish and, and bread. Then went on to preach and bring many sons to glory. Served his heavenly father very closely. And then here we are now, at the very end of his life, having been that aggressive, now arriving at a place where he was comfortable to say, love deeply in a challenging season. When I say challenging, it was, sadly, for Peter. Crucified upside down in the first century by a homicidal maniac by the name of Nero. A lot of us don't know know this, but in early church history, Nero took it upon himself that Peter's body was actually a personal trophy. He had it put on public display in the Imperial Gardens in Rome. And so did the emperors that followed him. It's quite macabre, horrible stuff. It wasn't until Constantine became uh, a Christian emperor that Peter's body was removed and then actually buried on Vatican Hill in Rome. Just recently, people have been arguing over his body. I think about 12 years ago, the Catholic Church handed over part of his remains to the Orthodox Church. It's quite sad that such a magnificent person um, in, our, in our word here <laughs> has been cut up like Sunday lunch and then partitioned amongst different members of the church community around the world today. Um, so part of him is in Rome and the other part has been handed over to the Orthodox Church. But it's a tremendous testimony and, and, and I really appreciate what Peter has to say into hard times. And it meant a great deal to us, these words. I think the first thing we can take from what Peter's telling us here is that we need to understand that the end times are near. The end of all things is near. Jesus' return to us is what we call an imminent prophecy. What he did on the cross has been fulfilled. We are now in a time when Jesus could return at any time. Only the Father knows. We've told that in the book of Revelation. But it's an imminent prophecy. It's not an if, but, or maybe. It will happen according to God's will. Peter also tells us to be alert, not to be complacent or caught up in earthly things or distracted by what's happening around us. And I can certainly tell you, I was very distracted. I'm not a super bionic serving church machine that works cross-culturally. Jacqueline and I and our family are just like you. We had the same fears, the same trepidations, the same hesitations and a whole lot of other Asians attached to it. We're just like you. But God's word can help you navigate it. I like what Peter says next. And that is to pray, to pray. If there's one response we had to this season that we're going through, and that is to pray. I did not go and call the accountant. I didn't go and call the lawyer. I didn't even go and call a church leader when I was at that farm gate. We went back and we prayed and committed the whole thing to our Heavenly Father. How were we going to navigate this season? which we most certainly did. And of course, that bold statement in verse eight, that bold statement. Peter was an in-your-face fisherman. Yes, he took the ear off someone, but he knew what it meant to love deeply. Peter declares, above all, his first priority Those first two commandments, loving God, loving people. Even our Lord Jesus confirmed that as the two greatest commandments. And we quickly understood in in service overseas, it's not when it suits you. It's not when it comes at very little cost. And it's certainly not conditional. But what we've been asked to do here by Peter is love deeply. The theme amongst churches this uh, mission period during the May mission month has been to cross the street. And I know it sounds a bit silly because it rhymes, but to cross the street, you're going to have to come to a point where you're going to love deep. It's very important for us to understand. I remember as we put our hand into the hand of the Lord Jesus moved through the farm gate and started delivering food parcels, started partnering with an unreached people group and their local administration, which in itself was an absolute miracle that that took place. Under normal circumstances, they would never ask us for help. But by loving deep, we were able to push and serve hard into that space. I remember one particular individual there, Um, we'll call him Mr S who um, several months into the into the COVID mess ran out of money to look after people in his community and his unreached community and asked us for assistance would ask at the end of the day you know why are you doing this why I come from a community that normally doesn't necessarily like you why why bother you know what's in it for you I said to him, it's not about me. We love you because we were first loved. And boy, didn't that get him to start thinking. We love you because Jesus first loved us. And I think Peter's really pushing this home here. We need to understand, as followers of the Lord Jesus, just what has been accounted to us. The enormous grace and mercy poured into us should have an effect on our hearts so that we can love deep and cross the street. Because that's what Peter is saying above all things here. And it's not a part-time job. It's not to be taken lightly. Each one of us as believers, even seated here or listening online, when we have that understanding that we were first loved and we can now respond in love, but love deeply. Above all things, above church programs, above committees, above all things, love deeply. And why? Well, Peter sums it up pretty straightforward. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Now, to translate that, to cover... What they're saying there is not to hold onto the accounts of people's faults, but to extend forgiveness and grace, when you want to translate it. It's not a physical covering of a blanket or something, as some people interpret it, but it means to cover, which means to relinquish, to extend grace, to forgive. Because God's word tells us it covers a multitude of sin. That's a very powerful statement. And as I shared with you earlier, once you understand how much you've been forgiven, in Christ we can also forgive. At that point of death, Jesus even said that. I love what Jesus said from Luke 23 verse 34. And we're talking about a situation and a context in which Jesus is now being crucified. It's one of those beautiful pieces of scripture that he speaks from the cross about. In fact, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Boy, if that's not loving deep and covering a multitude of sin, I don't know what is. So no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, no matter what situation, understand that Jesus has set the example. Luke twenty-three thirty-four makes an amazing statement. Peter has mentioned also other ways that we can love deeply. He mentions very briefly in verse 9 about offering hospitality. Now, we might take that lightly in this century, but in first century church, offering hospitality was a huge thing. We know from Rome historians that travelling anywhere in the Roman Empire was a very dangerous thing. Pilgrims were under tremendous danger. Even staying at inns or hotels could be life-threatening. So to offer hospitality was a huge thing. And I can personally vouch for that, having served overseas, both in South Asia and the South Pacific. When people offer you hospitality, it's a huge thing. One, it is costly to the person, but two, they're regarding your safety and well-being. It really is a very important part of what it means to cross the street and love deep. Hospitality is huge. Don't take it lightly here. People are carrying around all sorts of situations with them in which as believers we can serve into that space. So when Peter mentions hospitality, it's an important thing. Peter then goes on in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. To serve others and not ourselves and to remember that God's gifts are God-breathed. So use them to glorify him. What I love here though, and we need to understand too, that in scripture, gifts are, Are mentioned and some specifically, some not so specifically, but are mentioned about twenty times from the New Testament and Old Testament. You've got about twenty different gifts. But Peter here divides them up into two little broad areas. He talks about if anyone speaks and if anyone serves. And we can broadly put the gifts that God gives us in those two categories. But what i like to hear is that Peter keeps it completely focused on glorifying God. There's no human hand that, that can touch that. And Jacqueline and I can testify to our time in the, in the mission field for the past five years. No one could possibly touch any of the programs or any of the ways God has used us with a human hand. It is completely God-focused and, and, and provision of God. Looking back, nobody in our time in service, particularly over the last five years which were so difficult, could anyone say, we did this or I arranged that or I, I, I somehow knew this person to allow this to happen? We can personally testify to moving in God's strength, just as Peter's talking about here. No human hand can touch it. It's quite an amazing place to be and serve in that space. But we had to recognise what was being said here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, to help us move off the farm gate in the midst of the mess and chaos that was happening around us. And some of you may be asking, did you get sick? No, we didn't. We moved and worked within millimetres of this stinking virus, but we never caught it. God certainly protected us and carried us through a very difficult trial. In terms of of, uh, uh, where this loving deep reached into the community, I'm going to share with you now several testimonies of some people that we had contact with during this season. Now, if you're live streaming or listening to this online, you will not be able to see these images. Those in the auditorium, you will be able to. Okay? So, and next one. So I shared with you that we operate a farm um, and that we move food around um, and serve into that space. And I've already shared with you um, one particular person that we had contact with as we served and looked after an unreached people group there. I'll just go back to the other... Yeah, we'll stop there. This is, this is Mrs B. Now, as, as well as being a farmer in, in the South Pacific, I was also a school teacher. Uh, an unreached people group there, monotheistic people group. We're in desperate need of a school teacher, particularly an English teacher. Haven't really used my qualification very often because I'm mostly involved in fisheries and agriculture, but I was asked South Pacific Government to go and, and, and work in, in this school. Um, and in the course of conducting English classes there, I got to meet Mrs B. Now COVID hit her pretty hard, very hard. Her family, in some respects, fell apart. She ended up being the primary caregiver of her two grandsons, whom which I taught English. And in the course of 2021, I had the opportunity to meet her during during, uh, parent-teacher interviews. And she was was finding it really tough going. She's a tailor, but she also works uh, with her husband in a hardware shop. You can see the pipes in the background, but she has a small area at the back of the building where she does tailoring. She's an amazing person but she inherited those two little boys and she became effectively grandmother slash mother. But we get early into that year and she gets diagnosed, sadly, with lung cancer. Now, in the context of this South Pacific nation, there's not really too many places she can go to get treatment and the disease advances very quickly. In that course of that time, we would visit her frequently And share with her about what we believed. And she was beginning to have some hard questions about eternity. Really hard questions were pressing on her. And she would tell me her struggle. In her her faith, she told me that she could, and they're taught this, that they can have one foot on the earth and one foot on eternity. But there's still no eternal promise. Even if she's upheld all all of the pillars and, and rituals of her her religion. There's no eternal guarantee. And it was really eating her up. And when she painted that picture for me, it really just tugged at my heart that this person that who I've met through teaching was now at a point where the, the disease was advancing and advancing quickly. We took her through parts of the Gospel of John. She understood and, and grasped that what she called Jesus or she knew as Jesus, Isa was the way, the truth and the life that she had a future in him and so she accepted him. She took him on board. She understood she had eternal security in him. That changed everything for her. But the disease marched on. We get late into last year. Her family could no longer look after her. I would, vi- I would visit Mr B, and his response is, well, what to do? God willing, what happens next, happens next. He literally took his hands off the steering wheel. She was admitted into a hospital. At that stage, of course, COVID was going through the community very badly. You could not go into that facility. She was left there alone. Not even her family could visit her. And I remember receiving a telephone call very, very late in October, and I could only communicate with her by telephone. I was not allowed to even go near the building. And she just asked this question, does Isa does heal? Does he heal? I said, if it's, if it's in God's will, he most certainly can heal. And that for them, and from her religious and cultural background, to have a God that would be gracious enough to be even interested in her and to even heal her is massive, absolutely huge. So we prayed over her, over the telephone. Now in, this, in the South Pacific, she was able to discharge herself. I, I, I know in Australia you can't just discharge yourself. <laughs> but she wanted out of that hospital and she wanted to be prayed over. She was pretty desperate. She wanted to be prayed over. And she was completely immobilized. They lent her an oxygen tank that would get her through a few days. They gave her about four days to live. She just went to the back of the, of the um, hardware shop. They had her on a makeshift bed near her sewing machines. They popped an oxygen mask on her and she, we went in to visit her and she just asked us to pray over her. We want healing. Now, I'm not saying there was a, a bolt of lightning like on the road to Damascus, which Paul experienced, but over a period of four days, we kept praying over that lady, asking the Lord Jesus for healing. She was healed. She was healed. You look at her face there. She might be behind an oxygen mask. By the way, that's, that's long gone now. But that beaming, smiling face is someone who knew the Lord Jesus and was healed. It's absolutely amazing out of what looks like COVID mess and chaos that you can love deeply cross over the street Deeply into someone else's life, where they're at, and bring Jesus into that situation and see healing and restoration. But from a human perspective, looks chaotic. But from a God perspective, there's absolute glorifying of the kingdom of God. Amazing stuff. And moved our family very much. Can I say that there was a steady stream of traffic into that hardware shop for a good month between October and November, Because her community are quite closely knitted together. And for anyone to be healed from their cultural perspective is a huge thing. Oh, what's this? What's going on? Ah, The traffic that people wanted pictures with her, people wanted to meet her. And guess who's front and stage? Our Lord Jesus. It's just thoroughly amazing. Um, The next one? No. The gentleman seated there with the, the white toopee is Mr K, we'll call him, Mr K. Now, when I was a teacher at the, at the school, I had contact with the, the school board and the executives that help run the school, uh, he's a very powerful banker. Um, he approves all of the loans, particularly to farmers in the area that we live, so he's a fairly important person, and being a farmer, I can completely understand The situation there, particularly during the COVID season, he's a very busy man. He's a very ordered man. His life can be a little bit like a bank's balance sheet. Everything's in the right column. Everything must balance and add up. So he likes everything to be very orderly and predictable. But last year, Mrs K, who already has some health issues, particularly regarding heart and liver function, sadly passed away. And I'll share with you now how that happened. Mr. K gets up in the morning, usually around 7.30. He, he has breakfast with his wife, says goodbye, goes to the bank. He's working away about 11.30, maybe 10.30. He gets a telephone call saying, Mrs. K's not so good. She's, she's on, the, on the, the floor and she can't breathe. We all know what's happening there. And so he rushes back to the house, leaves the bank, can't revive her. Now, at this particular time where we served in the Pacific, there's no ambulance coming because they're too busy either attending hospitals or moving dead people. There's no one coming. And so he's got to deal with this completely unassisted. He tries to revive her. She passes away he then has to understand and get his head around that he will then have to perform a ceremony. She'll have to be buried. Now, in his religious understanding, that's got to happen within a 24-hour, 30-something-hour period. Do you think he could find anyone to support him? Is anyone going to come and touch that situation? Because there's a lot of stigma attached to people in this part of the world. When they die from certain viruses and diseases, it's very difficult. He eventually finds a religious leader that's willing to help them bury her. And that's done at about half past five, six o'clock in the afternoon. And this all happened in less than 24 hours. This guy was seriously dealing with a lot of stuff over a very short period of time. COVID knocked him for six He leaves his wife in the morning to go to work, comes back, she's gone, before the afternoon's done, she's gone. Thanks for coming, just like that. And in his predictable world, it turned it completely upside down. Now I'm just so thankful that I had the relationship with Mr K while I was an English teacher at that school because we certainly had to cross the street and serve deep in this context. Over several months, we would visit him either at his home or in the bank and keep sharing from God's word. Now, I'm answering some pretty heavy questions from Mr. K regarding eternity. I would say that he's on a journey. He's not there yet. But at the very end of last year, and after many months of sharing from God's word, and counseling him through terrible grief and loss, he finally had the opportunity to have the community gather around him so that they could say goodbye to Auntie properly. Now, none of us are wearing masks. We kind of flung the ends of the auditorium open and it became like an official tent. <laughs> um, so he was moving in the building. Um, but he asked us to come there and say goodbye to Auntie and share about Jesus, about Isa. Now, you can see from that picture, there are some people there who really didn't want me there. I'm bright red, and it's not because of the 98% humidity or 30-something degree temperature at that time of night. It's because I could feel that there was a real spiritual battle going on here. Mr. K certainly wanted me there, but the religious leaders, who knew? They didn't want me there at all. You can see the guy that's in the seat next to me, he's got his hand on his face. The other guy in the middle there is looking at the sweets in front of him and could really just want me to keep quiet and go away. Mr K's got his, on his chin there, just looking in front, dealing with and reflecting about who Auntie was and who Isa was and is. That brings me to our next point. During the time I was sharing about Jesus... I didn't realise but I was going to touch on a really sparky, fiery topic and I shared with them that we believe in a living God and a Jesus that's coming back because he's coming back. He's alive. He's not not some dead deity. There's no grave to Jesus that he is most certainly coming back. Well... After we did that little presentation, I had a lot of the older older guys. No, didn't come up to me. I think they found me a little bit threatening. But the younger guys, and some of which who are religious students, came up to me and said to me, "Ooh, we didn't know you Christians believe that that East is coming back." I said, "We most certainly do. He's alive today. He's very powerful. He's not not dead at all. He's not a dead prophet." He's very much alive. And these young men shared with me, hmm, our teachers tell us that that, that he's not that important. But when we read our scriptures, it tells us that he, that is coming back. He's, he's, he's coming back. Now, some chord was struck there. And oh man, their minds were open right up. They said, Well, we didn't know you Christians believe that he's coming back. We're taught that he's coming back as well. Yes, most certainly. He is coming back. He cares for you. He loves you. You can have an eternal security and future in him. He is not dead. He is coming back. That was an amazing evening. Again, loving deep. Doing the hard yards with Mr. K. In a pressurised situation where it could have gone either way um it's a pretty hot crowd and i'm not talking about the temperature in the room the food was fantastic by the way (laughs) the curries were very nice um but we continue to to share with mr k we want him to understand that the lord jesus does in fact care for him very much please pray for him i'm so glad i had the opportunity to share these these with you um Let's pray together, huh? as we contemplate what Peter's been saying and we understand that loving deep is a costly business. It's not something that's, that's taken lightly. Just as the Lord Jesus said from Luke 23 verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, that he was willing to go to the cross for you and I, that he was willing to love deep. When we take that on board and understand how much he loves us, we need to listen to what Peter's saying in his word and also love deeply because it will certainly, you have to believe what God's word's telling us, that it will cover a multitude of sin. If we are willing to let go of people's faults and willing to show them the way, the truth and the life and restore them back into the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come to your word, that your word was in the beginning. Thank you that it's a living word that speaks into our lives just now, just as Peter wrote it in the first century. It's very much relevant to us today. And Lord, we know that we live in a society, in a nation, and in a world that is certainly hurting and is confused and seeking truth. We know by very definition in your word that, God, you are love. Your word tells us that. And we recognise just what you did for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for that. But help us to serve others in your strength. To show them the way, the truth and the life from your word. But to love them also. I thank you again, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity this morning, that we can gather and meet. In the past, that has not been possible. That Lord, with you, all things are possible. And thank you again for everybody that's listening online and that is in this building. Lord, touch their lives and they go out into their community and serve both in word and in service. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.